Is it third time lucky for Carlos Alcaraz? This time he is serving for it. 40-30 from this near end of the court. Forehand return by Corda. Forehand from Alcaraz. Good angle on it. He steps in. He's at the net. Defensive lob from Corda. And Alcaraz puts that one away. And he wins the title. A phenomenal week from Carlos Alcaraz, one of the rising stars of the men's game, has been imperious in Milan. He has only dropped one set all week. The 18-year-old celebrating now with the Milan crowd. He doesn't really know what to do. He runs to his corner, embraces his coach Juan Carlos Ferrero. He has seen off the number two seed in straight sets. 4-3, 4-2, Well, it's been amazing. I mean, uh, be able to to win this tournament means means a lot to me. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm so excited right now. I'm so emotional. <laughs> How important was the start, saving five break points and also the tie break in the first set? I mean, I I started really really nervous. Uh, I, I had to to be calm. Uh, to save the, that, that broke points. I know that the Corda is uh, serving really, really well. So I, I had to, to play my best in, in that moment. And uh, yeah, it, it was really, really important to save that. You said you were nervous at the start. I'm, I'm sure there was a few nerves at the end. What were you thinking the last two games? You had two championship points, but you clinched it in the end. Well, when I, when I lost the, the two mass ball uh, in, the, in the return, I, I thought that it's going to be tough uh, with, with my serve. I, I started love 30, so I, I had to, to to be focused, to be calm uh, in, in that moment, to, to save that uh, that moment, and uh, yeah, it was really, really tough. Congratulations, you've been brilliant all week. Thank you very much. Congratulations to Spain's Carlos Alcaraz, who becomes the second consecutive 18-year-old to capture the Intesa Sao Paulo next-gen ATP Finals title. His second title in a wonderful breakthrough season. Alcaraz started the year ranked 141 in the world, but his dazzling tennis has produced many wins already, notably charging to the title in Umag and reaching the quarterfinals at the US Open. This week, he didn't lose a single match en route to another title and impressed everyone along the way, including match commentators Paul Scott and Lucy Arles. Well, Lucy, we have just seen Carlos Alcaraz win the title in Milan, seeing off Sebastian Corda in straight sets, 4-3, 4-2, 4-2, to win the next-gen finals. It's been a great year for Carlos Alcaraz. He's 18 years of age. He came into the tournament this week at 32 in the world. He only dropped one set week a worthy champion definitely i mean i think people were maybe looking at him as being being the favorite but of course you know it's the first time he's played here the pressure's then on him you know the rest of the year he's almost been the chaser hasn't he i mean it has been some year but i mean from the start he played really well i mean that match against rune way i mean so aggressive both of the players i mean he hit a lot of winners and i think the big thing that really did stand out was the way that you know he stepped up when he needed to in in those key moments with with the scoring system here where it's quick fire and he was able to produce i mean that was evident in in his numbers as well i mean he stood out I I mean, I think he, he probably did did the best in, in all departments in, in terms of the stats and uh, really was a worthy winner. How good can he be? I mean, the, the whole idea of the next-gen finals, is, of course, is to unearth the next-gen. It's in the name. Every year we, we get excited about the players coming through. Stefanos Tsitsipas, Yannick Sinner, former champions. What, what have you seen in Alcaraz's game that excites you and, and how good can he be? A lot. I mean, the sky's the limit, really. I mean, he doesn't seem to have any weaknesses, really. I mean, he's fearless out there. I know, you know, he steps out on the court and he believes he can he can beat anyone. I mean, you know, having that sort of self-confidence is massive, as we know. I mean, he hits the ball with such pace off both sides. He's, he's got a decent serve. We've, we've seen the variety as well, particularly over the last sort of few weeks where he will come forward. He'll, he'll use the drop shot effectively. I mean, he's so fast around the court and he's got a great mentality. And, 
you know, they're all the things that, that we would describe the, the top players in the game. So, I mean, for me, you know, bar injury, you know, he's, he's going to be right at the top of the, of the game for many years to come. Let's have a quick chat about Sebastian Corda as well. Another player who's had a fantastic year, a breakthrough year. Just fell a little bit short in the final today, going down in straight sets. But Sebastian Corda, he's slightly older than the others. He's, he's 21 years old. He was the, one of the older players in the field this week in Milan. He's, he's done things slightly differently, hasn't he, in terms of how he's approaching uh, life on the tour? Well, he has. And, I mean, he opted not to actually go to Australia at the start of the year. And he actually played a challenger. He won that. And, you know, after he won the Australian juniors and there was a fair amount of wild cards being offered, I, I think he took a couple, realised that his level wasn't there, dropped down. The the advice of his parents, obviously, he's got a lot of experience in his in his corner. And, you know, they're, they're in it for the long haul. They're able to, having done the journey, see the big picture. And scheduling massive you know he's he's grown a lot as well we've seen that you know there's been a few injuries and of course when there's big growth spurts that can happen so you know they've been sensible with his training there's there's not a lot of strength training going on there's more talks about the endurance and the running side so it is maybe a slightly different route but it's actually a route that's got a lot of experience and and that's what they're bringing to the table and you know I expect to see him at the top of the game for a long time as well I, I, I love watching him play. What else has, has caught your eye this week? Perhaps um, slightly disappointing for, for Lorenzo Massetti, certainly disappointing for the for the home crowd, of course, in Milan. Well, I think so. I mean, you know, it's been a little up and down. I mean, he burst on the scenes, didn't he, last year in Rome, had some unbelievable wins. And, you know, the match at Roland Garros as well against Djokovic, you know, we know he can play. He admitted himself that he did feel the nerves and the expectation coming in here. It'll be another experience for him but I would think he'll be disappointed going away from from this this event you know he would have been desperate to be able to perform well and play as well as he knows he can in front of his home fans but again he's, he's still young you know it's all about the learning and the development and you know he's such a talent isn't he and I mean he unbelievable ball striker some of the shots he can come come out with he's he's mainly probably done his best on the clay so coming here on the indoor hard that didn't really favor him but certainly i, I as well i as with all of them I, I expect them to continue to move on the back of how well they've done this year and what else has, has caught your eye this week sebastian Baez reaching the the semi-finals i mean going down eventually in straight sets to, to carlos alcaraz but almost everyone did <laughs> this week well that's right i mean i think Baez maybe t took a lot of people by surprise I, I watched him a lot as a junior and although you, you look at his results and you think okay you know all he does is play on the clay he was effective here, he was very aggressive and certainly he played some great tennis and he enjoyed it. So I, I think it'd be interesting to see how he schedules things. I know, you know a lot of the fact that he played on the clay, not only is he good on it, he spent most of his career so far on it, but also, you know, with COVID and the travel, he, he said that it, it made sense to actually stay closer to home. So, you know, I think he was one that maybe surprised people. And, you know, given his height, he, I mean, he, he maximises, doesn't he? And you know, he's an exciting player to watch. Well, it hasn't all been about the next-gen finals. A quick word about uh, what happened in Stockholm, the 250 there. Tommy Paul getting his first tour-level title. And he actually saw off another next-gen or a former next-gen uh, competitor in Denis Shapovalov. So congratulations to Tommy Paul, who becomes the 10th player on the tour this year to win their inaugural ATP tour title. But it has been a great week in Milan here for Carlos Alcaraz. Our thanks to commentators Paul Scott and Lucy Arle. And Lucy will be part of the radio team bringing live ball-by-ball -ball commentary from the Nito ATP Finals in Turin this week. You can find that live coverage at atptour.com or you can simply search ATP Tennis Radio on TuneIn. So it wasn't to be this week for Seb Korda, but nobody can deny the huge progress he's made this year. Andre Agassi is on speed dial should he need him. And his coaching team also includes one very wise head, former Australian Open champion, who also happens to be his dad, Petter Korda. Whips it onto the oh. angle, but then Korda 
responds with maybe the shot of the match. An amazing forehand cross court. I'm not afraid to smile. I get angry sometimes, but uh, I like to be aggressive and just have fun out there. There's a lot of good players coming up right now. All the 97s, 98s, 99s, and uh, even the 2000s are kind of making a little bit of a push now. You have to be so mentally focused throughout the whole match. I mean, one, one point, one game, you could lose the match easy. I mean, you have to grind for every point. So you're out there by yourself. you got to figure things out. I was born in Brainton. I grew up also in Brainton, so I mean, I was there at the IMG Academies ever, ever since I started playing tennis. Yeah, my dad's kind of like a, a secret weapon in a way. He's been around the tour a super long time. He's made it to the top. He's won a Grand Slam, and, and he's coached someone who's made it into the top ten as well. So he knows what to do and, and uh, kind of the tough decisions. He makes them look easy sometimes, and uh, yeah, I'm super grateful to have him in my corner. Perfect. <laughs> um, I'm happy, you know, he's uh, carrying the family business. Now it will be up to him to carry the, carry the flag and um, you know, I, I'm, my wife and myself, we happy you know, to be part of it and helping him you know, to, be, to be the best tennis player he can be. I started tennis when I was 10 years old. I played ice hockey until then. But uh, I went to the US Open with my dad and one of his players, Radek Stepanek, and then ever since then I just kind of fell in love with him. And, decided to quit, quit hockey and started playing tennis. I love Radek Stepanek. He's my idol. My dad coached him for, I think, 11, 12 years. And uh, Marat Safin and uh, Nadal, those are, those are my big three. I started playing tournaments when I was 15 years old. I kind of started a little bit late, but uh, I mean, I just, I just have fun with it. I mean, every tournament I go to, I just try to win it. It's very special, including that uh, my dad won it 20 years ago. So it's a, it's a very special feeling. Both my mom and dad, they both played tennis. My dad won this tournament in, uh, in 1998, and uh, so it's, it's a bit special. <laughs> it's not bad, huh? It's, uh, it's kind of like a dream come true. Melbourne, Australia, it's probably will be very close to our heart, you know, to our family. Myself winning my first major in doubles in 96 in, in Melbourne. 98, I won my singles. Him doing that in Australia 20 years after, you know, I won. I mean, it's a great achievement. When I was dropping him at the airport, you know, he, he was flying to Australia on, on a Christmas day on the 24th of December. He said, you know, he wants to bring the cup home. So I was uh, pretty impressed with his words, but more impressed, you know, the way he finished over there. He, when he won, how he played the big points, you know, he played them like a big champ, you know. That was very important. And bringing the cup, I mean, what else I can ask? My impressions of the ATP Tour is it's something I've dreamed of ever since I was a little kid and to finally be here and finally getting into these tournaments, it means a lot. I've put in a lot of hard work for it and, and hopefully I can keep going. It's pretty cool, you know, I mean, I've, I've played probably my whole junior career until I was 18 years old and, and then I was playing Futures for two, three years and then I started playing Challengers and, and now I kindly kind of upgraded myself into, into the big leagues. and. Uh, yeah, it's super cool. I mean, you can see all the players you watch on TV, they're all here and, and just to practice with them and play with them, it's, uh, it's super cool and, and um, comfortable out here and, and having fun. Three years ago, I made my ATP main draw in, in New York and played a really good friend of mine, Francis Tiafo, and it was a lot of fun. I played a really good match, but yeah, I couldn't pull through at the end. And uh, yeah, I think a lot, a lot has changed in my game and, and there's a lot more calmness kind of on court and, and a lot of hard work came into that. I have two cats. One of them is named after Rafa Nadal, but we call him Rafi. I played uh, Rafa at Roland Garros, and uh, yeah, I think uh, the first part of the day, I wasn't really wasn't really sure what was happening. And then once I was getting ready to walk on the court, and I hear him jumping behind me, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is serious. And uh, I've I've watched it so many times how he always gets fired up before matches, and uh, just to kind of be in that moment, I. I I really just told myself just kind of stay in the moment and, and really appreciate what's about to happen because my dream match was to play Rafa Nadal at the, at the French Open and to get the opportunity, especially at 20 years old, it was, uh, it was a dream come true and, and hopefully I could uh, get another shot at him.
I started the 2021, oh, can I do that again? <laughs> I started the 2021 season in, in Delray Beach and had an incredible run there, making my first ATP finals and losing to a really good player in, in Hubie. It was kind of like a breakthrough moment for me. I had a lot of good matches, played a lot of great players, and kind of just using that momentum uh, to start out my year was, was really great for me. Yeah, it was a goal of mine to break the top 100, and to get that opportunity, it's something I dreamed of ever since I was a little kid, and uh, super grateful for it. It was super cool. I was playing in, in a challenger in Quimper in, in France, and I didn't know it was possible uh, that week, but uh, I think after the quarterfinals, yeah, I broke through the top 100, and, and then I was, I don't know, I was just so super relaxed on court after that. I was like, this is exactly what I wanted. This is what I dreamed of my whole life, and finally to get this opportunity, it's been super cool, and, and yeah, I'm kind of living the dream right now. I think at the beginning it was it was a little tough for me. Uh, I was like kind of intimidated by these big players, but in the locker room, being around people, and uh, yeah, it made me feel comfortable. And now it's just uh, now it's normal for me. A very first Masters 1000 quarterfinal. I'd love to just keep having fun. I mean, I'm doing something I love, and especially now during during what's happening around in the world, it's uh, it's a privilege playing a, a sport right now, and couldn't be more grateful for it. Inspirational from Seb Corder. I don't think my life's really changed that much. I mean, I'm still still the same person. I always try to have a smile on my face and, and be kind to everybody. And yeah, just kind of, I don't think much has changed for me. Another player who impressed in Milan was 18-year-old Holger Runa. The young Dane showed himself to be full of passion throughout the week, which is both a blessing and a distraction, according to his longtime coach, Lars Christensen. Uh, sometimes I hear some uh, things that I would uh, <laughs> rather not hear. Um, I mean, I understand the heat of the, the game, you know, I understand that it's really tough standing in there with all the pressure. And um, for me, I just wished, you know, that he had the ability to breathe, take a, take a short break and and then refocus and come back, you know, so and it's, it's so hard to, to sit out there and not really being able to, to make a big difference. Uh, so, yeah, it's not easy. Have you been able to embrace the technology at, at the side as a coach? Have you been able to use that? I've been watching a little bit into the technology. Uh, I haven't been able really to use it yet. Uh, I always make my own statistics on my phone, you know, during the match. So that's what I'm used to. So I, I tend to, to watch that. But they have like fantastic pre-match, uh, uh, a post-match uh, analysis uh, that they send to to the coaches, and that's really helpful, you know. And it makes what, like what? What would you, as a coach, uh, get from those statistics? Well, okay. Uh, I want Holger to be offensive when he plays tennis. I want him to stand close to the baseline. I want him to come into the court whenever it's possible, and he thinks very often that that's what he's doing. But you know, when you get the statistics, it's so clear that. Either you are one meter behind the baseline or you're three meters behind the baseline and, and I mean the statistic doesn't lie so uh, so it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty obvious what what's the problem uh, when he's playing good uh, or when he's playing bad or and what's what's good what's good on the court positioning what's good on the target hitting and uh, the service hitting and everything you know so yeah I, I think it makes a difference you know especially when you're evaluating the matches that you can uh, prove to the player what the effectiveness is uh, of of the different kind of strokes, the different kind of uh, court positions. One thing that is very obvious and it's super, super impressive, he's played 93 matches this year. He's played a lot of tennis. He still looks fairly fresh. He's come from a win last week at a challenger. He started the year playing it, playing the Futures. Uh, I think he made a final of the first week. So as a coach, you must be super, super proud of the improvement and, and, and what has been the improvement in 2021? Well, I think a lot of things improved uh, during this year. We had uh, several issues, you know, in the beginning. Uh, I wanted him to start out on the hard court, 
and um, we practice uh, during the winter break. We practice on hardcore to to make him uh, improve his hardcore game. And he came out on the futures in the beginning of the year and did really, really well. Well, he was uh, offensive. He was attacking the ball and he did everything right. Um, so so that was very very nice. Then went to South America and uh, started the clay season there. And uh, he qualified and got to the quarters in uh, in Chile, and uh, that was an amazing result, you know. Then we had a little downer, and uh, then during the summer, things started to improve again, you know, with some good wins, some uh, some bad losses now and then. But uh, you know, mentally he's been working on staying in there and getting used to fighting against uh, the older guys. Was that not necessarily the case? Well, you know, in in the beginning when we first started out playing uh, on, on the seniors tour here and uh, on the professional tour, it was really hard for him to understand that these old guys, they might not be the best tennis players in the world, but they kept fighting, they kept putting the balls where it hurt. And uh, for him, you know, if, if he didn't really feel the ball or if it was not really nice playing tennis, uh, he tended to, to tank some, some games, you know. And that took some time, you know, for him to to accept that these are the conditions that you have to you have to play tough every time, you know. And um, and the Challenger Tour, you know, took took some matches, and uh, then after a bad loss, you know, I got him to understand that uh, he should fight even if he was uh, facing a defeat, keep fighting till the end. And that's what he did in Oras when he came to the first final in uh, in the Challenger Tour. And he went out and won the next week, uh, beating the guy he lost in the final uh, again uh, in, in that tournament. So, and after that, you know, we have had ups and downs, but uh, I think you know slowly it's it's getting together in his head. And what were you thinking during the Djokovic match? He played such an amazing set, and it must be be nice for for Holger to know that okay, it was only one set, but the level is there. Yeah, I mean, he's been playing. Uh, not only in the Djokovic match, he's been playing amazing tennis now and then, and uh, he has a very, very high level. And uh, I mean, when he's even not playing his best level, but he's keeping focused, uh, he can keep compete with the best, in my opinion. And uh, obviously, it was a, a big scene. It was a fantastic atmosphere in there, and I was pretty proud of him uh, when he went out and won the second set against Djokovic. Unfortunately, he, he didn't have the physics to, to keep fighting all the way through. But uh, I mean, that's that's uh, that's a start, you know. That if you can take a, a set from the world's best player, you're you're close. But it's a great story because you've been together for a long time now. How, when did it start, and and how has the progression been for you with Holger through the junior game? Well, uh, I started out with him when he was like seven years old. Uh, I was head coach in the local club where uh, where he was playing, and his big sister were, uh, was a, a good tennis player as well. And I was coaching her, so I saw him, and and he was really dedicated to what it uh, to playing tennis and uh, improved so well, you know. And I well, what did he have at seven that you thought might be special? Well, he had uh, the ability to really dig deep into to what he was working with and I mean obviously at that time we were working on basic techniques but it was like I was having a, every week I was having a new theme you know for for the tennis school kids and uh, when I introduced it on Monday you know Holger would come there and uh, when he came back on Wednesday all the other kids they would still struggle they would try to do and they were progressing slowly but when Holger came in on Wednesday he would do it perfect because he's been watching, watching uh, himself in front of the mirror and he's been saying hours and hours and hours in front of the mirror trying to, uh, to do it perfect. And, and that's been his drive for uh, all the way through the junior years. You know, he was uh, obsessed with uh, doing it beautiful, doing it right and uh, having a very good technique. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, a huge drive. Talking to Lars Christensen on ATP Tennis Radio, and you, you touched on it before. You said that at times he was he was getting frustrated in the last year or two, and he he would start tanking matches. So it's always that that fine line, as of because generally tennis players are perfectionists, of 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 controlling it in a positive way, but clearly he had that at such a young age that the desperate need to be the best player. That, it, that he's already had with the experience that you've had do you think you can learn that or do you think that's something that you've got to have right from the outset well I think you have to have it somehow you know he's uh, 
he was a copycat, you know, uh, as a kid, you know, he would, he would come like one week, he would be Rafa. And he would be dressed out like Rafa, he would play with the same rap, racket and uh, he would do the same technique. I said, no, we are not trying to imitate Rafa. Uh, I, I like Rafa, but, uh, but that's not the technique that we're trying to, uh, to develop with you. And then next week he would be uh, Fadasco, and he would came, you know, with a Dunlop racket, and he would have the same outfit, and uh, he would try and play like Fadasco. And uh, yeah, after a few weeks he would be Federer, and uh, it was like this, you know, all the way through. Have you always been involved in tennis? No, no. Uh, originally, I was a circus artist, and uh, <laughs> that's unbelievable. I've never ever interviewed a, a tennis coach or anyone connected to tennis who used to have that profession. Tell our listeners about what that was like. I guess being a tennis player is is quite easy compared to a circus artist. Oh, I guess it's pretty much the same, actually. Uh, I played tennis myself until I was 18. Uh, I was not playing on a very high level, but uh, on a national level uh, in Denmark, which was not uh, something that anybody in the world would have heard about. And uh, then I, I started out, you know, a circus career, and I think I was around 40 when I stopped. Uh, I, I got, got a son, and uh, I thought it was too much traveling around. And uh, the local club asked me if I could come and, uh, and join them and, and help out with some practice. And uh, that's, that's how I developed into, into being a tennis coach. So, uh, yeah. But, I mean, did, did you get Holger diving all over the place and doing somersaults? Well, uh, in the beginning, you know, when he was a small kid, I, I would do uh, physical training and uh, I would do a lot of stunts and acrobatic stuff, you know, as well, you know. So, so yeah, that, that's what I knew about. And, uh, yeah, I would do that. But, you know, it's pretty much uh, the same thing, you know, it's, it's uh, the touring life uh, in tennis, it's, it's pretty much the same, you know, you have a season and, and the season is pretty long. So uh, when I was working as a circus artist, I would generally be away from home like 10 months a year, hanging around uh, in circuses or varieties. And I mean, you travel a lot and uh, you have to be focused every day because you have to deliver a, a big performance every day. You have to practice, you have to stand up, you have to have a good diet, you have to do all the right things so so you can perform and it's it's so close to so close to uh, tennis as it could be you mentioned that the the off-season last year was really important so have you got the off-season planned going ahead at 2022 and what do you hope what do you want to see from Holger in 2022 well, I think, you know, we're working a lot on uh, the mental stuff, that uh, he should be more consistent, that he should be more free and more daring in his uh, game. I want him to improve on his serve. I want him to be a little bit more offensive, and I want him to uh, to get stronger physically. Um, I mean, now he's been playing good on the Challenger Tour. He has had some good, good wins on the ATP Tour as well. But when... Uh, Hopefully from next year, ATP will be an everyday scene. You know, he, he has to improve on some things. He has to take his chances when there are. And uh, he has to be stronger mentally and physically. And uh, I mean, we're working on it and it's getting better every day. The development of young players is one of the key reasons why the Intesa Sao Paulo next-gen ATP finals has been such a success. Another is the event's key role as a testing ground for potential new rules and protocols on the main ATP tour. Over the past few years, we've seen the shot clock, electronic line calling, the use of towel racks, trialled at this season-ending event before being brought into the mainstream. And this year's innovations included shorter warm-ups, down from four minutes to one, courtside coaching, limited medical timeouts, and timed bathroom breaks. Watching on with a very keen eye was tournament director Ross Hutchins. We've reduced the, the tour warm-up already over the last couple of years to, to three minutes or to four minutes from five minutes, which used to be probably eight in the end. It was always a bit longer than, than what we had intended it to be. And now being one minute of hitting is the first time we've really pushed the needle. We obviously internally as a team discuss, should it be no warm-up? Should there be no umpire? Should there be no anyone? Should it just be a clean court? And you go from the extreme of that to saying, it's difficult to go away from five minutes. Uh, and so we thought that actually, let's push the needle, let's go to one minute this year. We think that will work well. Do I think that's gonna enter the tour next year? No. But have we slowly tried to educate people that 
we don't believe it makes that much difference to have a shorter warm-up because these players are so good. They've played so many matches. They're so confident because they're the top eight players of that time and they, they feel great that actually having a minute warm-up or a 30-second warm-up or a three-minute warm-up by the time first ball's ready, you're ready. So I think it's been a big test for us to really go that step further. Interesting to see the player reaction. What has the player reaction been? I think it's been almost like it's just second nature to them. But by the time they get going, it's like you don't even remember by the time you finish. You win, you lose, you play well, you work on something, you play your next match. You actually forget that there were different rules because of the intensity of the event. You actually think this is an ATP event of a high quality level and you don't necessarily think of rules. So it's been very well, well received, meaning it's just been accepted. Whether they like it or not, we haven't had enough matches to really say, do you like the one instead of the four? But I think it's been accepted as, as something which is right to try, which is important because we don't want this event to become a gimmick. We don't want there to be two points for a winner or come to the net and you get five points or, you know, these type of things we're never going to do. We've got to keep it very classy. We've got to keep it an element of tradition. And we've got to make the tennis be comprehensible for, for the fans to understand with some innovation in it. I think the ones which also have been quite interesting for us to take here are the toilet break rule, the medical timeout rule, and the coaching rule, which are three attempts to try and actually see do we want to put these into the tour at the right time? Is this something which we can put as soon as next year, for example? Let's have a look how it is here. Let's trial it and let's see whether these are some things which we want to move forward or not. Coaching has been discussed for years. For, for the WTA have, have, have had on-court coaching for a while. Two of the Grand Slams in the qualifying, Australian Open and US Open had it walking on the court coaching in the qualifying when they didn't do it in the main draw. And then we have a couple of other Grand Slams that have, haven't embraced coaching. So we're trying to find a way of whether we think that coaching should be done, if at all, or whether it should be done like we used to with headsets, which was more of a TV product, or more of, more of just a natural progression, which is what we have here, where a coach on the side is able to talk to the player on the court just softly if he's on the same side of the net. So a few of the rules this year are actually saying... How does that actually look less about let's be creative, but more about let's be, let's think about what could actually reach the tour, potentially in the future, like we have done with uh, electronic live calling, like we have with the tower boxes, like we have with, with a reduced warm-up, as I mentioned. So there's a few things, I think, more this year where it's actually, how, how are the players reacting to this to see if it can become something which is a reality? We have Ross Sutchins here on ATP Tennis Radio. In terms of the rules, Ross, going back to uh, obviously so much discussion about the injury timeout, and personally for me, I felt it was a little unfair some of the criticism that City Pass got because he was kind of singled out because the rules are there, and every player across both tours, juniors, if you go to junior tournaments, they all abuse it. So it's only going to change if the rules change. So do you think that there's a real possibility that that could be really enforced? I do. I do think it's something we're certainly looking at. And this, as I say, is a way to, to see in practice whether, in practice but in matches, if you, if you see what I mean, whether this actually can be embraced and something we take forward. I mean, Stefanos, I don't want to comment whether how he approached the match or, or what he did or didn't do. The rule was, wasn't actually clear, in my view. So on, on our side, it's up to us to try and make sure the rule was clear because... He, you know, Stefanos undertook that approach and, and did, what he, did what he did, and he was able to do that. So, so just to clear up here, the next-gen finals, it's three minutes, isn't it, from the time that you go into the bathroom, and then you have another two minutes if you decide you want a change of clothes. Correct, exactly right. So, so that would be um, a time limit associated to it, and then if you do not come back inside that time period, it's time violations. When, and, and there's penalties associated, point, penalty, point, penalty, point, penalty, until you arrive back. Because we think that in certain in situations indoors, you can manage it that way. If you're in a very hot, humid conditions, we encourage people to change their socks and shoes actually on the court, and actually to change your shirt as people do on the court as well. So in the end, it, it's more around what is the right thing for this situation. And we think that if people do want to change, it's a good way to look at this. And we believe that this I don't know how many, how many players have taken toilet breaks or changed clothing here, but we think it's a very fair way and actually something which would clear up any ambiguity or any unknown, um, any unknown rules when it comes to a very simple outline that someone times when they, when they enter the bathroom and someone times when they leave. And it's quite simple and, and it's sufficient time, we believe, and 
let, let's see whether it works. Ross Hutchins talking with Barry Cowan. Plenty to ponder ahead of 2022 and beyond. So with events wrapping up in Milan, attention now turns to Turin and the Nito ATP finals, where a certain Russian arrives as the defending champion. Medvedev, championship point, serves out wide. There it is! Game, set, championship one from Daniel Medvedev. The biggest title of the Russian's career. And he's done it the hard way. He's beaten the top three players. The first player at this tournament to beat the top three on their way to the title. There's an embrace by the two players at the net, but it's all about Daniel Medvedev, unbeaten from start to finish. Back-to-back titles to end the year. Daniel Medvedev, your champion in London. Three sets against Dominic Team. 4-6, 7-6, 6-4. Daniel Medvedev taking the title in 2020, and since that victory, he's gone on to claim his first Grand Slam at the US Open under the guidance of his longtime coach, Frenchman Gilles Savara, who's been speaking with Jill Krabus. Melbourne, yeah, was uh, the useful experience to, to help Daniel to, to win uh, the final in, uh, in US Open. Because, you know, after Melbourne, I mean, Melbourne, um, you know, he, I think, uh, I mean, it's not I think, I'm sure uh, the match was not good from, from Daniel. Something was missing, you know, something in the invisible thing. You know, mentally, the energy, something that it's tough to, to explain, but you can feel it when you, when you see the match, when you are uh, with Daniel, in Daniel, uh, Daniel's coach or Daniel's team, especially after the quarterfinal or semifinal where he, he played unbelievable, really. Uh, and I think, you know, it's like uh, after these two matches, it's like if you expect that it, it can just continue like this without doing anything special. But that was a mistake. And that also makes probably because uh, he, did, he, he didn't have enough experience at this, uh, at this moment. Uh, so that's why US Open, uh, we used uh, Melbourne experience to, to prepare the, the match differently, uh, mentally differently. And then, of course, uh, tactically uh, to adjust different things against, uh, against Novak. And so, I mean, tactically and mentally, is there? Are you happy to reveal maybe a couple of things um, in both of those areas that you felt like were a huge improvement at the U.S. Open? Yeah, uh, mentally, first of all, was I mean, it was almost easy. I want to say, of course, not easy, but because we had Melbourne experience, so it was like okay. So uh, we 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 almost know what we. Uh, have to do or at least to not do or to not miss so it gave us advantage uh, um, on this point so that's what we we did uh, all the team Daniel I uh, uh, Francisca and uh, and it worked very good uh, I felt it from the first first game of the match because it was you know something that you 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 wonder until the last moment so the last but, moment before yeah, they walk on yeah, the court exactly yeah. no no until uh, until he plays the the first game because oh, got it. Okay. i remember i was uh, saying to the team it will be important to to have a good start and at least to have a good second set because if you feel that you can compete or you you at the same level that your opponent it gives hope to continue mm. to 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 have chance to do if you start bad for a second time uh, you know it's tough mentally to 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 to, uh, to continue or, or to do to do your best you know uh, but after first game I was okay he's in the final we had chance to do a great thing then tactically <laughs> well, uh, like uh, we talk with uh, with Daniel, you know, to play Novak, it's not you don't have something magic. It's not uh, you arrive and it's uh, okay. You do this, you do this, you do this, and it will work. It will work. No, it's not like this. Uh, it's like you you everything you will you you would do uh, you will do has to be at the top, and everything you will do at the top probably you you would have to to change it during the match at one moment because uh, your opponent Novak uh, would would adapt. And to change something, so uh, we were ready for for uh, so many different things, different scenario to win this match. And I know you've mentioned a couple of times Francesca, and that's a sports psychologist that you've brought on the team. And I know you've been very adamant about building the team yeah. um, together. How how has this sports psychologist impacted 
uh, all, I guess both of you guys on and off the court. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, um, I mean, she's m more um, able to, to explain everything than me, but what I, what I can feel is that it was a, uh, a big help for me as a coach and as, a, I will say, the, the, the staff manager because uh, I felt that her work with Daniel, uh, everybody knows that Daniel is a special person, a uh, uh, rich person, but complex person also, that if this, if this work is not done, it's like if you, if you work, uh, I, won't, I, I won't say for nothing, but you, you can feel that the tennis work, the physical work uh, can be not strong enough, because if this main part is not strong, uh, uh, you know, all the other points uh, w w would, uh, would be tough to, 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 to stay stable. And that's, what, uh, that's why, why her job was so important to, to, to make Daniel more stable, uh, to improve uh, deep inside himself, to control, you know, when uh, his anger, his emotion, or uh, the different thing uh, hap happening in his, in his mind on court, out of the court. Also, um, she helps us to, to manage inside the team, you know, uh, because when you manage a team, you have different person to manage to the communication between the person the different person are also uh, important uh, point in the system and she, she she helped a lot for 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 this so does she does she meet with all of you together or separately or both it's both of this because uh, we were you know we she she, she is a part of the team like uh, the physical trainer, like the sports scientist. So we are talking every day together, you know, and she, she, she ge give, gives us, uh, you know, her thought, uh, her feeling. So, and we, and because I'm a coach, style of coach who, uh, who likes to, to, to feel all these things, uh, it's easy to, to understand, easy to, to talk with her about this. So it runs very, very easy with her. I mean, I read an article too where the the sport you had said the sports psychologist it was about developing the whole human. Yeah, yeah. And just I guess just expand on that, like how much that has helped your team develop the human and the communication, how important that is. Yeah, it's for me it's maybe the most important thing, and I will say because it's something that I think I I have in me since since. Uh, Forever, I mean, it's, no, since uh, you say, uh, since in the uh, past, in the past, yeah, it's, I mean, it's something that you as you 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 have as a person, I will say, more than a coach because mm. you coach as you are, you know, so it's more a person. And l last few 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 months, I read a book, a very interesting book. It calls uh, the language of coaching, and it's from uh, Nick Winkelman. Okay. Okay, and uh, I. I have, and you just recently read it. Yeah, I have okay. I have started to 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 read this uh, this book, and I I was reading. I said in, to myself, it's exactly what I think, what I believe in coaching, the way you communicate with your your athlete, uh, the words you give to him uh, when you are on the court, when you are outside the court, for the work. I mean, for the movement, for the tennis, but also for the relation. Mm. I, 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 I read this this book and uh, I was yes it's exactly what I think as a coach also. so that, that's what you felt as a coach for a while or it has changed your perspective no no I, I think this for this a while is, okay. for, for, since the beginning okay it's just you know sometimes you read something that you already know mm. it's it was my uh, my my my, uh, my case at this moment have you been able to talk to this author? No. No, no. I okay. would like. Yeah. I would like. It, yeah. could, it could be a very interesting uh, experience for me because, uh, yeah, everything he said, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I would like to, to, to know him, yeah. to talk, yeah. to, to share uh, different to, experiences. Yeah. yeah, that would be really yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, we might probably yeah, have to can, try and set that up. No, if, you can, if you can help me to, 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 to meet this, uh, this person, I will that. be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just want to talk, because we, before we started this, we, we saw each other and we spoke about how we talked with each other a couple years ago and in uh, one of the Canadian events and it was when Danielle had just gotten into the top 10 yeah. now is number two in the world has any I'm curious if anything has changed or is have you kept the same path throughout or have you discovered something new for him to make that jump to two in the world I will say that nothing changed really and everything changed uh, it means you know every day 
you try to to i mean every day on court i have a vision of the place we are on our way to try to anticipate what we have to do the goal the goals we have to work uh, to follow uh, so I have, yeah, I will say I have a, I have a cap where I want to go, uh, but every day it's ad- adjustment, it's adaptation to to try to to follow these uh, these goals, and of course uh, it it's never you know it's never uh, easy, it's never the same. Uh, you always have to be ready for a change, to be ready to. To, to, to make the best action, the best uh, to give the best word um, uh, in, in, in real life. And uh, for example, uh, it makes me think about uh, the French Open. You know, this, this time for us, it's uh, always a tough time. And uh, uh, even if, I mean, I will say that was not, not, not good. Uh, even if he made quarterfinal in French Open, that was a good result, but almost uh, unexpected, unexpected mm-hmm. uh, result, because the weeks before was uh, was really tough to work, uh, because for Daniel was uh, was tough for him in in what he experienced at this moment on clay, and me as a, as a coach, uh, I I have to try to yeah to find the the best of my of what I can can I do and. I have to to try to find the best uh, solution, and it it shows that uh, I didn't find it yet. You know, I haven't uh, find it yet at this moment. Even if I was trying every day to to yeah to to find the the thing who could make Daniels uh, in in a better way. Uh, at that moment, you're talking yeah, about that, at that clay moment. season. Yeah, in exactly, that moment. exactly. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, I feel like you guys are so fun to watch. I love watching Medvedev <laughs> on the court. I love watching him. And watching you two in the stands, you're just so calm. Is that so- something that he, D- Daniel in particular likes to see, a, a calm coach on the side, or he likes to see that emotion? No, for sure he likes when uh, when I'm calm. Uh, it's uh, easy to, to, to see it. Uh, if I remember uh, that, you know, the first times, because I'm someone, uh, Daniel is very calm person. I mean, even if sometimes he, 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 you can feel uh, his emotion or anger on court, but less and less. Uh, me, I'm the, um, to, I would say I'm a bit the same, but I'm also different. And uh, I could be as a coach someone who, who could talk a lot or who could uh, move or to show more. But I felt with, with Daniel was not the good thing for him and for his performance. So, of course... I, I, that's how I said uh, earlier. I, I had to adjust mm. my my behavior to to make him feel good, to make him good. So that's why on court, uh, when he plays matches, I, I don't show anything. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like you have, a, you know, I don't know how to say a wall, and you don't give anything, you know, uh, to catch. Uh, you have no no point to catch because if I show something on the court, Daniel will use it. To, to get mad, mm. to, to break his mind and to, to get out of the, uh, his match. It's all a self-discipline for you. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it is. But you see me like this, but inside I can tell you there is maybe 1,000 thoughts at, uh, at the same second. That's why I write a lot on court. Okay. That's why. because During I have, matches. Yeah, during yeah. matches because I have so many thoughts and because I, I cannot, you know, keep it in my mind, uh, in my memory uh, for two hours. That's why I write. You must have a library of, I have, of I do, books. You know, I have uh, notebooks. I do one, one, one notebook per month. So uh, <laughs> wow. you count five years, multiply uh, 12, uh, 12 months. So... So you'll have a lot to tell Nick as well. Yeah. Huh? You'll have a lot to tell Nick as well, the author, yeah. the language of coaching. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And I have a library. You have a library, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And again, you guys, you and Danielle have had such a great relationship. You guys are doing fantastic. Congratulations on phenomenal year. And, Thank you. And all the best to you. We Thank you, you very best. much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Medvedev will take his place in the red group alongside Alexander Zverev, event debutant Hubert Hurkacz and home favourite Matteo Berrettini. While in the green group, it's the year-end world number one, Novak Djokovic, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Andrei Rublev and another first-timer, Kasper Ruud.
The singles promises fireworks and the doubles field is also stacked, led by the year-end number one Croatian pairing Nikola Mektic and Mate Pavic, who only came together not too long ago. You know, we've been good friends, you know, of the court, practice a lot uh, throughout the years. We actually never played a match together until this year, so I think it was just a matter of time when it would happen eventually. But then with all those things that happened uh, last year, we, we got together end of the year last year, so that was the time that it happened. So, Nicola, how did the initial discussion happen? How did you guys decide to partner? Well, we had a kind of a small conversation a couple of months before where I actually I didn't know that he had it in his mind at all. And, uh, like, yeah, uh, I was happy with my partner to, to start with that, but uh, he was, like, the only guy that I was, you know, always wanted to play with and uh, if that happened from his side I would I was thinking even back then that this would be the only guy that I would split my partnership mm-hmm. and then then this is what exactly what what happened so I mean it started a little bit couple of months before when it actually happened but yeah it was just then suddenly in the end of the year uh, things happened how it happened yeah. Shifting back to your year so far, you guys have won nine titles together this year, obviously including Wimbledon. First Croatian team to win Wimbledon as a team. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. Nicola, I want your thoughts from both of you. Nicola, what did that, that mean to you? That was your first slam as well. Yeah, that was my first slam, uh, my favorite slam. Uh, it was a dream come true. I mean, still, when you mention it, it's warm <laughs> warmer on my heart and you know smile came yeah, across yeah your and the way it happened like the couple last couple of matches were so good so such a big fight and it really felt like we we deserved it in the end and also because we got covid in Roland Garros so yeah, we that's weren't right, able yeah. to play Roland Garros but we came back so strong and uh, really amazing amazing and sure maybe Croatia didn't you know didn't didn't really put enough like the media didn't didn't do their job to to make us realize that we are first creation team. I don't, I don't think it was mentioned enough, but, oh. but not too much. But well, uh, we got we got it in there. We got it yeah. in there here. First creation yeah. team to win any slam, I guess. Uh, I know it's amazing. Yeah, especially Wimbledon. Wimbledon is always special for everyone, and also for creations. We got Goran, uh, all the things he did in Wimbledon. Marin played finals once, and uh, yeah, it was just amazing. And Mate, that's. Your third slam, but again, as your first one, Croatian, obviously, together. What did that mean for you? And before you answer that, I'm going to ask, because he mentioned Roland Garros, like how tough was it? Let's start with how tough was it to come back there and prepare for Wimbledon after you couldn't play Roland Garros? Well, it was, was not easy, but we did everything that that we could uh, to be ready, to, to get there ready in Wimbledon. So we actually we were lucky enough to get uh, negative on the I don't know, mm-hmm. it was an 11th day or something like that. <laughs> so we went to Queens uh, and we played the tournament. We actually won a match, but we were kind of just, you know, in our minds to go there, play a tournament, mm-hmm. Eastbourne also, to get ready for Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, and we lost badly, you know, mm-hmm. the second match, but that was the way we expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky enough to get two matches, a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of play you know on the on the tennis court and stuff so we got ready mm-hmm. you know in those two weeks to 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 be good right. to be in shape for Wimbledon so yeah. we did everything we we supposed to do yeah, yeah. and so. then of course you're winning as a Croatian team as well that's your first Wimbledon too I yes mean. that's like he said I mean also for me it's especially like dream country that yeah. was that was uh that was always my goal you know to wants to to live that title and like he said you know I'm I'm also from Split like Goran I grew up mm-hmm. on that 2001 Wimbledon of his so for us it's, it's just something special and uh, I had a bad loss you know a few years before the fifth set with uh, who was it Kubot Melo mm-hmm. so it was it was it was uh, it was something special mm-hmm. definitely it was yeah. something special yeah and and talking about dreams we must mention the Olympic gold as well that's a dream of a lot of tennis players to be able to not only play in the Olympics yeah. but coming away with the gold medal what was that experience Monte uh, honestly for me it's yeah it's kind of mixed feelings you know you never really I would say for us in tennis olympics are something different mm-hmm. definitely than the other sports because in other sports olympics are everything you know mm-hmm. but you have so many big tournaments throughout the year and stuff like that so 
at least for me personally, Wimbledon is something bigger in okay. my career, okay. you know. But obviously Olympics are special and, and to be honest, once we won it, I didn't really have that feeling until I actually came back home and I got that feeling throughout the other people, you know, congratulating you and all that stuff. And then I, I realized actually how big mm. it is. Um, it's, it's also something special and it was like all creation final. I don't know if it ever happened, you know. Yeah, I that, know. It's uh, amazing. Yeah, so, so that was something special also. Was it the same for you, Nicola? Yes, yes. First Olympics for me also, you know didn't know what to expect uh, it was for me it was always more of a dream come true to be there not to win it <laughs> you know yeah because well, you, you, got, you, you know yeah yeah but se seriously like yeah, you know when from when you were a kid you're watching the olympics on tv you're watching athletics you're watching all these sports you're watching and it's like back then it came to me it would be such an honor to be among all the best athletes in the world at you know at, at this moment the moment so it was, I was really looking forward to be there, to, to experience the Olympics. And <laughs> but yeah, like uh, after Wimbledon, we knew that it's, it's strange because you're coming there wanting to experience and you're like looking forward to experience. But on the other hand, you know that you're one of the biggest favorites and you, of course, you, you, you can expect to go far also. Mm -hmm. And then to win it, same like Mate, first was like, wow, we, we won it. But then after was like, Wow, you know, seriously, like we won Olympic gold, which is maybe far more than than we expected. Yeah. To feel. What do you? I mean, it, it's pretty amazing what you've accomplished so far this year. What do you feel like clicks so well for the two of you together as a team? Well, I think we're just kind of uh, two different players. You know, he's uh, he's a guy who's very solid on uh, on everything basically, mm. on all the shots and stuff. He he knows how to play doubles. And uh, and I'm the guy maybe who brings some kind of weapons, you know, good serve, big return, stuff like that. So I think all that mix of those two things, it's it's kind of tough for the for the guys, you know. And, mm. and it's uh, I don't know, like um, I personally I, I thought this would this is this is uh, this would be a good partnership. But if you ask me, did I expect it to be that good from mm. the beginning? No, obviously this is mm. this is uh, something that we did this year so far. It's 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 uh, it's huge. Yeah. So I didn't expect it to be that good. I was uh, I was expecting it to be good, but uh, it just clicked right yeah. away. So it was it was good. Yeah. Yeah, and then as a, as a team, I know doubles teams. You guys spend so much time together, um, practicing, practice matches, tournaments. Is it important for you guys to spend time apart as well? Is that something that you incorporate or is not necessarily? Uh, I, like he said in the beginning, we're very flexible. I think we're pretty easy, you know. Mm -hmm. So if it happened, you know, like uh, this year from the beginning, we were uh, with this COVID stuff, we were a lot of tournaments like in these bubbles and mm -hmm. all that stuff. So you couldn't really go anywhere. Yeah. So we were spending a lot of time together. You know, mm -hmm. you find you find your ways, you know, playing cars, doing something, yeah. you know. So you're spending actually a lot of time together. But now with these uh, restrictions, you know, actually in America there were no restrictions from uh, US Open, was it Cincinnati, I think. So we were also, you know, being apart a little bit, you know, you're doing your own thing, he's doing his own thing. So we're pretty easy about it, you know. Yeah. It's just kind of, you know, you go week after week and it's just something how it happens, you know. Sometimes we're spending spending more time together, sometimes less. So, so I think that's also helpful. helpful that you understand each other and that you're kind of easygoing and flexible mm -hmm. about all of those things. And I'm just going to stay with you for a little bit because you said mentioned playing cards. What else do you personally like to do for yourself? Well, to... for example, we also have uh, the NBA Fantasy. So oh. that's something that we both play. We're okay. in the same that, uh, league, kind yep. of. You know, he finished last last year, by the way. So. <laughs> you finished last <laughs> By you the way. You had to mention that. By the way, I was, that was my rookie. That was my rookie season. I finished better than that's him. That's what so. you had to mention. Exactly, okay. I had to yeah. mention. So. So that's also some something that we that we do that we talk um, about during the day, kind yeah. of a hobby of ours. You know, okay. we both like to follow basketball, and, yep. and actually, I played it. You know, for a couple of years when I was a kid, I, I played basketball. So that do you that still was, play sometimes? I don't. I don't get a chance. Yeah, but okay. I was. I was actually not bad, and that's something that if I didn't play tennis, yeah. I would probably be playing basketball. Yeah. I don't know how good would I be? I and and last place fantasy, Nicola. What do you like to do? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I'm certainly going to spend more time this year to to a little, you know, to research, to make better research as a players because it's not working. It hasn't been working so far. I'm changing the name of my team already. <laughs> no, I'm trying everything. But okay, it's fun, you know. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun for us. I also am a big fan of basketball. I like to follow in this way you follow even more. Yeah, I like to watch I like to watch TV. I like to to read weird stuff, to watch some to TV shows. Yeah, now, oh, why did now? I mention that this is now not I what I no, 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 no. Weird <laughs> stuff. Weird stuff. Just okay. listen to news and in okay. general uh read and um but yeah I, I like to watch a lot of tv shows which i do less because we we do hang out a lot even yeah. not only two of us our whole team we're all very good friends so yeah uh we like to spend some evenings like this also and uh yeah days go by Mektic and Pavic will take their place in the green group alongside Granoyer and Zebaios, Dodig and Polasek and Kvitz and Tikal, while in the red group it's Ram and Salisbury, Herbert and Mau, Cabal and Farah and Murray and Suarez. It is guaranteed to be another compelling week of tennis and you can listen to every match on the 24-7 ATP Tennis Radio channel via the ATP website atptour.com or by looking for ATP Tennis Radio on TuneIn. I'm Seb Lozier. Enjoy the tennis. Come back next week. We'll be rounding up all the best of the action in Turin. See you then. <laughs>